Welcome to the Pop Culture Theologians Podcast. Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? You know, just trying to topple the patriarchy. Yeah, one dick at a time, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> you had to you had to go all Lacanian on me, didn't you? Get out of here. Get out of here. So, <laughs> we are the Pop Culture Theologians. Uh, we are just two queens breaking down the gospel of pop culture. Um, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at engagegaze.com. You can also follow us online uh, on Twitter at the Pop Culture Theologians, Pop Theologians, and then on Facebook at Pop Culture Theologians. John, where can I follow you on Twitter? You can follow me on Twitter at jerickson85. What about you? Uh, I'm at I am the men who can on Twitter. So my favorite (laughs) it is a good handle so john what happened this week before we get into the week marcy i have something really important to tell you what what tell me you know i don't like secrets what happened (laughs) i don't know if you know this about my god is this happening but i have to tell you that i'm gay what what no, no. Oh my gosh. Like the, our listeners will be shocked. Shock. I don't know if our listeners can handle that, but in honor of National Coming Out Day, which is today when we're recording, I just finally had to be honest with you and myself. I, so that night we slept together meant nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. And for the record, when I run for president, you, anyone in opposition research that tries to come find Marcy and ask her how we slept together, she will say that I snored the whole way through and that we did not touch each other and we had a chastity pillow between us. Yeah, it was my own personal purge, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, else happened? All jokes aside, though, like Mazel Tov to anyone today um, on National Coming Out Day for either celebrating the time they did come out or if today's your day, we salute you. So, um, other news this week: uh, Taylor Swift got woke. I don't know. Like, I hate that word. We're uh, living in an alternate universe when everyone hates Kanye West and everyone loves Twitter. I mean, sorry, Twitter, but Taylor Swift as well. We do love Twitter, though. Uh, yeah, actually, so Kanye is at the White House as we speak, and I don't know if you saw this, but um, the camera captured him <laughs> opening his iPhone with the password 0000000. 000. Like, I will never accuse Taylor Swift of being basic again when that's Kanye's password for his iPhone. Sorry. More than, what was it, 60,000 people registered online and crashed the website because Taylor Swift said came out and well not national coming out day but she came out and declared that you know she was a democrat and voting for certain people in this election in her home state of tennessee which is a really critical state and um she totally got all that mega money and then left for europe she's like peace out racists right and like i've been like super salty all week watching like a bunch of like uh quote unquote like white feminists who are like trashing taylor and i'm like okay first off no one who's serious about doing like this work thinks taylor is some white savior seriously like no one like but the girl did what she needed to do this week and i'm just i'm not here to shit on it like there's you know there's plenty of other shit to shit on right now so yeah i don't have time for it can you imagine if every other celebrity actually used their capital like their social capital for like the positive good like a lot of people trashed 
like Kim Kardashian for going to the White House. I actually wasn't one of them. Like I personally think that yes, criminal justice reform is something that crosses political boundaries. And although the Republican Party that we know today isn't really one that would be high up in discussing discussing what she was really there fighting for, she did accomplish in getting a woman who had been wrongfully imprisoned in so many ways out of jail and back with her family so quick shout out to kim kardashian because we're trashing her husband because he's pure trash but um you know but i will say that i wish more celebrities were using their capital like that no a hundred percent like look do i love the kardashian and and west like affinity for president trump no but at the end of the day, oh my God, I'm going to get super cheesy. Do you remember that stupid parable of like the starfish? Like it matters to this one fucking fish. Like that's it. Like Kim Kardashian changed a woman's life. And like, that is not like a small thing. Uh, so, so yeah, like use your capital for good, do what you can. Not all of us are celebrities. Like I can pretty much influence my mom and that's it. Like, so Uh, More power to people like Taylor Swift and even Kim Kardashian. So um, moving on for this week, it's weird. We haven't touched Kavanaugh. We haven't touched Kavanaugh this week because I just don't even feel like it. Um, Plus, I want to shed a little light on Hurricane Michael and the folks affected by this monstrous storm, um, which came out of nowhere. Like, I seriously think I had like 48 hours of mental prep from like tiny nugget of a of a tropical storm to a straight up like category four um so i went to florida state and i spent seven years of my life in the panhandle of florida like um this is an area that particularly like panama city and mexico beach and this whole kind of area is extremely impoverished it is not built to withstand this type of hurricane um the devastation is is just mind-blowing Oh, so it's really sad. And we want to, I feel like this is like the second or third hurricane we've talked about on this podcast during the filming. So, um, climate change is real. And oh, also, what happened this week, and this is a side note because it fits into this, we basically have until like 2030 to curb climate change. Otherwise, we're like, and I think we're totally like already like I think they're just saying like hey like maybe if you do it by 2030 like you won't die in hellfire but you're screwed either way right and um that connects to so Governor Scott of Florida who is a close cousin of Voldemort um has pretty much like prohibited any type of politician in Florida to ever use the words climate change global warming and any type of government work so imagine trying to do this work in one of the states that will be most impacted Um, in the U.S. much quicker than any of the other states, and you can't even call it what it is, right? So um, he's a monster, which is trash, trash, uh, why we're throwing our weight behind Bill Nelson, Um, and then obviously Andrew Gillum uh, to replace him in his spot. Um, But no, it's, it's just really, really devastating. It's an area of Florida that I love and that I have a lot of friends um, and people that I consider family there. So um, sending and love. I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Mandy Pumphrey, who is a dear friend from um, she, um, her hometown of Donaldsonville, Georgia is totally being destroyed. And so she's really upset. Yes. Yeah, so we want to give a quick shout out to her because we love her and we're wishing everyone there and in the, you know, path of this storm safety. 
Right. And before we jump into breaking down this episode of The Purge, like there's a lot of ways that you can help, right? So I'm not a fan of the Red Cross. Uh, The Red Cross takes a ton of overhead and they're extremely problematic. But, um, and it pains me to say this, Catholic Charities of Northwest Florida um, does really great work in the area. Um, There's just get involved, find out how you can help. Um, One of the things that's happened as this economy's kind of tanked and everyone's like in this heightened sense is that we are all restricting our giving. And I understand it. These are really difficult times, but do what you can. These folks deserve some love and help today. And if it's not you today, it could be you tomorrow. So um, let's think of it that way, you know? So, all right. So (laughs) let's jump into this episode, John. Let's purge. broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the u.s government weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge all other weapons are restricted government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed commencing at the siren any and all crime including murder will be legal for 12 continuous hours police fire and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m when the purge concludes Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation of <laughs> All right. You so um, I was really excited to watch this episode because John watched it before me and was spoiling it to death on Twitter. <laughs> no, I did not. You were like Sophia Petrillo with a secret. Like, I cannot <laughs> help it. I, it was a good episode. It was a good episode. So the episode starts off with Rick and Jenna have left the Stanton mansion, right? And they are running for any house that has a Stanton security system. Um, Again, if I was in the purge, I would get stocks on this Stanton security. Um, The thing that caught my attention when they're running is there's a bunch of folks like looking out their windows and kind of like, almost like with like gleeful faces as they watch them run from purgers. Um, And I was thinking a lot about how today, like there was a really good Atlantic article this past week about how um, the Republican Party has become the party that glows and takes joy in other people's pain. They did it much more eloquently than that. That's like my salty take from this like article. Um, but watching these people watch Rick and Jenna run is a reminder that there are some people who like are here to watch us burn. Like they're here to watch pain and suffering. And as long as it's not affecting them, it, they're like more than fine with it. They take like the sick pleasure in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely, um, well, one thing that I noticed is that, yeah, they're looking for any house, but they find, they find themselves back at their house. Yeah, I was like, I thought this, like, that Uber ride in the first episode seemed, like, obviously you didn't need an Uber. Obviously they didn't need an Uber, and obviously they trained for marathons. In that dress, I, so I tweeted out that, like, my one, like, question about the Purge show was, like, how long, um, the actress that plays Jenna was in that white beaded dress. Cause like I was consulting with a friend of mine. We're guessing like that's a 20 pound dress. Um, and she's pretty much, yeah, running a marathon for her life. It, it's like very RuPaul, right? Like she has to run for her life in this like fabulous dress. Um, so yeah, no. So that's the, that's a really quick opening with Rick and Jenna. So we have very quick openings for some of our main characters, Um, after we see Rick and Jenna running and eventually getting into their house and locking themselves in, we're back with Miguel, Henry, and Penelope, um, which, again, sick, twisted love triangle. 
No, it's a devil's triangle. <laughs> it is the devil's triangle. Right. Uh, so they're doing their thing. They're dialoguing through this purge moment. Um, but one thing that caught my attention is Henry yells at Miguel when Miguel's kind of like, you know, like you're a fucking asshole, whatever. He says, shut up. I will do whatever I want because it's my right to purge. And okay, this is extremely reminiscent of alt-right um, messaging about like guns and the right, like in stand your ground laws and like how how legality has led to this like grotesque understanding of rights, you know? Um, particularly when it comes to these movements that are rising up in like authoritarian and very violent manners. So. Yeah, it was definitely reminiscent of a lot of messaging we see when we watch videos from Charlottesville or a lot of alt-right videos that they have this inherent right to inflict this violence, to be out on the streets like that, to, I think in reality, you know, they're trying to say that they're reclaiming their rights that have been taken away by, you know, these various communities. And as we see how problematic it is in real life, we see how even more problematic uh, what the real life consequences are in the purge. Right. And I mean, they're not wrong, right? Like it is as it stands, they're right. I think it's your right to stockpile enough arms to like, to do nothing, right? Because the government will literally nuke your ass. Like it's stupid, but they're not wrong about the legality of it, which means our system is what's broken. So. Definitely. And so then what we happen to go into is we go to Jane and she finds her way to David's house. He's there and she tells him everything. And she, he just really does what we see later on in the episode and we'll get there, but he just gaslights her and he gaslights her concerns. Typical white male. I said it in the beginning, never trust a Baldwin brother, although we love Billy, but. Oh, is this Billy Baldwin? I was like, I, I honestly like, I can't tell them apart. Yeah, it is Billy Baldwin. Um, so um, he is the actor that is playing the Jane's boss. And Was Billy Baldwin the Baldwin in um, Backdraft? I honestly have no idea. Oh, I think he might be, which means he was my sexual awakening. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, well, that's a special episode of the podcast. Because um, we'll definitely go to the Cruel Intentions world from for my sexual awakening. Um, <laughs> But basically, Jane tells him everything, and you know that there's something that he's not telling her. We alluded to it in the earlier episodes that we, when we were talking about Jane's storyline, but he also has a stand-in security system, so anyone that is listening, remember, take a shot, because that is a cue to one of the movies, and um, Jane admits everything that's happening and then he locks them in together because you know he's looking out for her or trying to keep her safe yeah, when in reality we know that's not the case yeah if you've watched horror films that's the moment this switched into a straight up like horror film for jane like the second she's like i sent someone to kill you and then the security system just locks them in and you hear the click and it's like girl you made a mistake like a huge mistake and I think it's the moment she gathers like she made a mistake and I, I want to give a nod to the fact that like any woman listening knows that like there is something really disconcerting about when a dude locks something in front of you like locks a door like like it, it just you feel caged in right and so it's not just that it's purge night like as a woman, I don't feel safe when some dude just locks me in a room, like uh, like an office or anything like that. I'm like, oh, no, nobody. 
Exactly. And I just have to say that personally, whenever I go into an office or a room like that, and I need to have like a private conversation, and this is from my resident assistant training in college, you always just ask, is it all right if I shut the door, we have to have a conversation. So that way you put the agency back on them. Right. Consent is sexy. Consent is sexy. There we go. (laughs) So take us to Rick and Jenna again. Oh my God. Okay. Well, first of all, they're home. It's kind of like, it's like they just got back from like a binger at a party and they're relaxing, but you know, basically the, the tension is still there. They went from one mansion to a smaller little house and Rick is really angry that Jenna chose Lila. And um, when Rick went to this party for them, he has a lot of white male tears going on in this episode and blaming the fact that, you know, he has done all this for Jenna. You know, he doesn't want their child, the little girl, to grow up, you know, the same way that he did. He had a different privileged life than she did. And, you know, she doesn't know what it's like to grow up being bullied. And, you know, he really believes that Jenna's really good. And he feels really betrayed by her choosing Lila. We obviously saw that Jenna and Lila had a different connection than she has with Rick. Yeah, I'm sure she loves Rick, but you know, she her true love is probably Lila. And I really think, and I really got the like feeling that Jenna, there's something here that we're going to find out between the two of them, well, between the three of them. And I think Jenna really needs to be afraid of Rick because what I think, and I made this prediction yesterday while watching the show, is that I think Rick set up Lila or there's something that's going to be yes, revealed. I- Thank God you brought that up because I, I felt really similar watching this episode that like this is a massive, massive setup um, on behalf of Rick. <laughs> I totally think so. And so like basically the whole time we've been writing a lot of stuff we've called. I would just like to say that, first of all. I can't believe you would think I was not right about stuff. <laughs> okay. That's a whole nother podcast as well. Right. But um so Rick is technically like the Melania Trump of this show right now. Like, I don't know if you saw Melania Trump today said she is the most bullied person in the world. And um, yeah, Rick. Okay. <laughs> okay, Rick. Here's the tiny little violin I have for you. Right. And like, I, I admire like as Rick's kind of breaking down and, and yelling at Jenna, Jenna really stops him in his tracks and is like, I'm sorry, no, no, no. you don't get to do this. Like I saw you grab the gun. You know, I saw you be a person I don't recognize. Like the power and the wealth of the NFFA, like definitely is attractive to Rick. And and then we get some insight into Rick, right? Which I think, again, like this is super transgressive and to the point of 2018, Rick gives us an understanding of where he comes from, right? So he does say like he will do, he says like 1800 times, like he will do anything for his family. And then he brings up like he grew up what he called white trash, right? Grew up like getting his clothes at Goodwill on food stamps. And so what we're seeing is this white rage and white fragility coming to the forefront, which is similar to what we've seen happening right now in like the Midwest and the rural states of these these white folks who have been fucked over by our government system, no doubt, not understanding that they need to join the resistance and that as long, like my liberation comes with your liberation, right? It is not at the cost of one or the other. Um, but But the government right now has pit white folks against everyone else, right? Um, in hopes of tapping into exactly what Rick shows us, which is this fragility and this fear that like 
the pie is so small, you do have to take from someone. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, again, this show is hitting this 2018 issue on the head. Um, and Jenna says, your inability to stop wanting shit is what is hurting us. Not me, not Lila. Like, it's nothing is worth this, ex- like, the excess privilege, the, the houses, everything. It's not worth it right? Um, it's and- totally not worth it. And we really see her giving the hard mirror. She's basically the mirror that Rick does not want to look into. That's and, a really good way of putting it. Yeah. And he definitely, when he sees her, he sees all the faults in himself. But I think he sees how fragile masculinity is. What we really see, I think, a lot in these films and in the show itself is how threatened by um, these mirrors that reflect actually what you don't want to see are to a lot of dominant, you know, communities, basically white male privilege. And when you, when it breaks down on itself, you see that so many people are not able to exist in that world and have the types of insecurities, but just have a hard time showing it as well. And with Rick, you see that same type of security. I mean, it's like cap, it's a critique on capitalism as well. He feels that the more things that he acquires and buys, the more power and standing he has. But in reality, as he saw at the party, he's never going to be as good as them. And when he looks at Jenna, he sees that too, because she had a different life, but he can never even be fully there to, you know, be enough for Jenna. And that's why I really think that he's threatened by Lila, because Lila represents something that Jenna wants and doesn't see cracks in because she's come to a self-acceptance that yes she comes from a privileged family but she doesn't want to use that privilege she wants to destroy the privilege for which she was born into right and I think like I think what we see is is some shame right and I'm not going to say that shame is going to change Rick because I've noticed in the last like six months that when when you when white males in that position of power and privilege um and fragility feel shame, it usually turns to rage. It does not turn into humility, but you definitely are seeing some, some actual like shame right there. Yeah. Um, but I was really, I, I was impressed with like the, the breakdown of this fragility in a show that look, the target audience, audience, the target audience of this show is going to feel very uncomfortable with this. Um, this show is not like, I mean, I, I, I'm Latina, whatever, but like, and a woman, but like, this show was not meant for me. This show yeah, was meant and for me. Rick. Exactly. Watching. And I am seeing this on Twitter. It's really, really fascinating. I love reading comments on mass publicized, like, articles or videos that they share from the, you know, the actual TV show. And so many people are like, this show, you know, the movies are about, like, killing people. They're not about a relationship, blah, blah, blah. And they just tells you that the audience that is really trying to watch the show um, is not the type of audience that, you know, would be like Marcy or myself. I mean, USA Network is a very white, and I'm making a gross assumption here, by the way, listeners, you know, very white, middle class, lower class, probably viewing audience from not states like California, but, you know, Midwest, Southern, you know, I think middle of the country, you know, the flyover states that, you know, find a lot of capital power in the sense of what they use their pocketbooks for. That's where right. a lot of these I mean, horror films are marketed towards. Yeah. USA is for like suits and SVU law and order. Like, um, season so- 37,000. Don't hate. Um, but this, this is extremely transgressive for its audience. So, 
Um, on a side note, at the end of this vignette, Lila steps the fuck out of that dress and I'm so happy for her because I could feel the beating like chafing into her skin. I'm just like, get it off of her. Oh my God, yes. Um, also, I want that dress. So, hey. It's a great dress. It's such a great, uh, great dress. So we move on from there to um, Penelope again with Henry and Miguel, um, which... I'm, I'm going to say this. I feel like this is being drawn out in a way that like, I don't think benefits the show. Um, I don't know what switched for me where this storyline really, really worked to me struggling a bit with them inside of this um, Salem witchcraft tent. It's a Groupon tent, Marcy. Oh yeah. 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 So if they hadn't gotten it on Groupon, who knows how much this would be. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Penelope, you know, she says to Miguel, like, this night so the purge has taken everything from me and that she's ready to go right yeah um and then uh miguel in spanish says to her uh we both get out or neither one of us gets out right like you give up i give up you jump i jump um what did what did you think of that i personally i mean i understood the the role that henry was supposed to play in the actual like reuniting of Penelope and Miguel but I really feel like you do that it was really drawn out I really feel that there's a different way that they could have come together and that we're just in this Groupon tent for long far too long and we hear the we hear the overcast the like the I don't know the announcer say you know your coupon is about to expire insert 25 more cents for another hour of purging I mean we hear that so clearly I think that serves as like a reminder also to those listeners who are eye rolling at this point like Marcy and I are like okay like get them together they gotta go like it's time to like get out of this freaking carnival of flesh right and um I will say I love the nod to like the shared language in Spanish right like Penelope and Miguel are immigrants like um, they're the first targeted by the first purge, like them and um, and other people's of beautiful colors. So, um, and I do think like Miguel saying like, you jump, I jump, like that is a moment of redemption for, for Miguel because it's his first time acknowledging that the last time he didn't stay with her, right? Yeah. So I think, I think that's important. Um, I will say I like had a massive moment of like nervous chuckle when um, I think it's Henry says to Miguel, like, you know, you could have done this shit better, but hindsight's twenty twenty. And Miguel goes, don't you mean 10-10? And I was like, oh, burn for the dude with one eye. Yeah, don't you mean 10-10, bitch? And then he, like, <laughs> kicks him in the, or, like, he headbutts him or something like that. Right, which is why, like, we had been in this tent too long when that joke made me laugh because it's a shitty joke. But I was like, all right. But then, like the purge always does, it has a really smart moment where Henry, after this eye joke, looks Miguel straight up in the face. He goes, dude, we're not that different. We both kill because the government says it's okay. And I was like, oh, see, here's the military critique of this show, which I'm sure is playing super well to rural watchers and the Midwest, again, because this is the type of critique that that never gets any traction, right? Which is, we have failed our military, um, particularly when they come back from these horrific experiences where we've like sold them out and stuff. But this character, Henry, is calling it out, saying like, you think I am bad because I purged because the government says so? What did you do? What did, what, what did you do when you were in Afghanistan, right? And like, I think that's a, it's a difficult thing to kind of flesh out, um, but I admire the show for tackling it. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we're going there because I don't think we're going to go back to seeing Miguel's like comrade that what he saw right before he got into the tent. So we need to remember that critique because the purge and what the government tells people to do or not to do is no different than when you join up into serving in the army because you are still listening to very, you know, different types of orders that you don't get if you do are not serving in that way. Right. Again, this is the second episode in which they're like, you all have state sanctioned violence, like you all being us in this real world. Right. Um, and then Miguel kills Henry, like knocks him out, kills Bye-bye, him. Henry. Bye, Henry. And uh, he frees Penelope and Penelope does something that is actually really normal for folks that go into shock after violence. Like she pretty much can't move for like a couple seconds. And then she goes into straight up kicking the body of Henry, which is, you know, her body like releasing, like probably the tension of like the last three episodes. Um, so, so they're, they're on their way out. Like there's a long like road out of the carnival of flesh, but um, I don't feel the need to go into it. They jump into a car and they're on their way out. They're on their way out. But Penelope does see one of her crazy blue cult people on the way out. Any person who's been in a cult can tell you that you don't get out of a cult without a bunch of cult people being like, no, don't go. Like, it's just, you don't. Like, they're going to pop up everywhere. Publix, bed, like, you don't leave a cult easy. So On Tinder. On Tinder, on Grindr. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, um, so I'm sure we're going to see more folks from the blue cult coming up. Uh, so power to Penelope trying to get the fuck out. Yeah. She's finally, Penelope is hopefully woke. Oh my God. I hate that word. <laughs> Speaking of woke, we come back to our favorite person in the entire show, Ooh. the white vigilante. So bored was, was that a yawn, Marcy? What was that a yawn? Ooh, I'm bored by it. I have no time for this vigilante. Basically, to sum up the white vigilante, he is like a factory worker who is like a good guy or something. I don't know. He's trying to save lives. Like his storyline is going to be eventually connected with Jane, as we see at the end of the episode. And he's just going around saving people and trying to like listen to different stories. I don't know. He's boring. So for folks who are wondering why like I feel very strongly... Um, that this is not a needed storyline. This show has been three female-led storylines in a world that is not commonly known for, like, look, women in horror tend to jump around with their boobs going everywhere, lock themselves in rooms and die, right? Um, Horror has become much more transgressive in the last, like, five, ten years. Um, Shout out to The Witch, shout out to Hereditary, Um, This show did not need some white dude savior that they keep threading through that, like, doesn't have, a, I just, I don't need it. Um, I just don't. So, you know, more power to them if this brings it all together. But if this show at the end is about this dude saving people, like, oh, buddy, this is the last time we recap a USA show. Because what I love about this show is that it is still centered on the experiences of women and inequity. Exactly. Preach. So then we finally find our story back with Jane and Jane is in a locked house with a crazy white guy played by Billy Baldwin, her boss. And what we find out is David, um, her boss is mocking her for, you know, thinking that she could almost hire someone to kill him very much. Like, do you know who I am? You know, this woman threatening a man. He's hyper-focused on making fun of Jane for hiring a female assassin. A female assassin. A woman could never take him down. No, never. 
Never. Which is also like, um, like a future prediction that definitely a woman is going to take him down. Right. Like that to me has become extremely clear. Like David is Jane's kill. And I think it's um, like, sorry about our next, our America's Next Top Model assassin, but like that wasn't her kill. This is Jane's kill. Um, but David offers her that tour of his house with so much art in it. Like, and she's like, yeah, I don't particularly want like an art history tour right now. Like we're in danger. It's purge night. I will look at your art tomorrow like calm down um but I think because he's so insistent and saying like like honestly this is every dude that I took an art history class with like it's just a little creepy when you're super insistent on me looking at shit like calm yourself down um and I think Jane picks up on that and is like yo I should probably run and so she runs right yeah she runs and then um we flash back to Jenna who no matter how much Rick is like, I love you, babe. She's still checking up on Lila. So hashtag Jalila forever. Forever. Um, forever. Sorry, Rick, but we're rooting for the two ladies who fall in love. Um, so she keeps calling Lila and someone picks up the phone and is like, Lila is dead. And her face is like, it's soul crushing. And then she grabs her pregnant belly. And um, I think that's the first time I realized like, no, legit, like, even if Lila's gone, Rick and Jenna are over. Um, I don't think they know that yet, but I feel very strongly that that is it. Um, not that I trust Rick. I actually think Rick is already an NFFA member, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, and then there's they flash back to the white vigilante. I'm not going to give it a lot of time, uh, but I would like to focus in, which John kind of touched on, the making of the NFFA is shown through this vignette. So they, he's got what I'm going to call Fox News on with a Rush Limbaugh type character who's like talking and again, a narrator who's saying like water is scarce. There's tons of hunger. Um, climate change is apparently real by now because everyone's like struggling from it. The markets have crashed. So this is a nod to 2018 that the foundations for a world like the purge are already here right? So massive inequity, poverty, um, that is the foundation for this type of, of authoritarian regime taking power. Um, and the reason we know that is because we get this Rush Limbaugh character who's talking directly to our white vigilante. And, um, you know, he's saying like, channel that rage, like, you know, um, turn that pain into whatever. And that is very similar to stuff that we've heard, like Breitbart News and stuff like that, like specifically targeting the alt-right. Um, and targeting, if you look at the statistics on the alt-right, 18 to 25 is their major component. So it's like disenfranchised young men who are hearing these messages of like, woe is you, the world's been taken from you. Like, And so I, again, am extremely proud of a show that is brave enough to have an audience full of this 18 to 25 year old dudes saying like, y'all are falling for some crazy shit. And that crazy shit is what leads to dystopian worlds like the purge. And and we're not, we're not totally. from the purge. Like we're not. We're not. And I definitely think it's appealing to like this middle of the country, you know, these very rust belt states. Cause you know, the white vigilante is kind of almost like a factory worker and he finds himself with all of his um, fellow uh, employees. Oh, they yeah. get put out of a job. But the thing is, and I think this is a real strong John, critique. Who did, who did they blame first? The woman. 
they blame the woman and then they're like, well, the Mexicans took our jobs. Exactly. Because the company is outsourced. And so it's definitely a critique on that because at the end of the day, you see all of these white men um, that are put out of a job. You know, the woman's the boss and she says that, you know, they basically outsourced. And so then you cue to um, them listening to Rush Limbaugh and they're militarizing them. They really show how this type of everything is like leading to this way in which we understand how fragile white fragility is, how fragile masculinity is and how, and what people will do to reclaim that type of power that they feel, you know, other communities don't deserve or took from them. Well, and the writers are super smart. So that scene where the woman comes out, there's the gate and they're like, yo, the, the factory is like closed, like whatever. When they jump to like, well, the Mexicans took our jobs and the robots. Um, before that line, the woman who's letting them know that the factory is shuttered, um, it's talking to the vigilante and the vigilante's like, this makes no sense. You're, you have like record profits. That is not a small nugget. That is to show that like, it isn't a scarcity problem. Like there is no like lack of funds to pay these workers. It's that the bottom line now is for the top heavy like corporate level of these organizations. So like that is meant to show that this wasn't about finding cheaper workers. They were making good money. It's just similar to what Jenna says to Rick, when there is no plateau for how much you need, right? When it becomes immoral, how much money you amass, you start to dehumanize everyone around you at the cost of amassing more and more fortune. I think the really interesting part right after you talk about that, Marcy, is we get to this scene back with Jane. We have these corporate white men that are critiquing power, but they want more of it. So we just come from this white vigilante dude whose power was taken away by these white corporate people, not the people that the the Rush Limbaugh person or this Fox News version of the purge world is telling them that took this power away from them. It's the same guys that they want to become, which just shows you why masculinity in this universe is so fragile. And just in general, because it's, it's not the people that are actually taking the power away from you. It's your own like community that you're trying to become. It's such a great critique because then we find Jane back with David really understanding what's about to happen to her. Okay. So I know that you love me so much. Were you super excited about this final, like penultimate scene? It was, it was an amazing scene because everything that Billy Baldwin's character, David said from, you know, I mean, I mean, basically Jane is running around the house and she finds, you know, the, the, her purger that she hired dead and, you know, David laughing at her and reminding her never hire a woman. And then when they lead up to this art show, which we discover is basically another version of a museum of flesh, but it's women tied to like art frames where these men can like touch them. It's really fucked up. So, yeah. So we've got... Jane, who finally realizes she's she's about to enter her own worst nightmare. Um, and we get this speech from David, which um, is appropriate for the kind of like, um, for what we're going through right now post-Kavanaugh and these discussions we're having on women, consent, and whatnot. So David like kind of spits out at her, like the world became too PC, like men can no longer be men. Um, 
it's anti you know the the world is now anti-men it's anti-power you know a man can't you know tell a woman that she's pretty without losing his job I mean it was really kind of almost triggering for me I mean I want to say this was written before any of this stuff that's happened in the last couple months right so that's exactly show it um and yeah, David takes her upstairs to this art show he's been talking about for the whole episode. And the art is women who are being held captive um, where men can like grope them. Like, I think his words were no penetration, everything over, over the clothing. And as long as the women stay submissive, they will make it through the night. So we had talked about this a couple episodes back that the purge was not just, I can kill for 12 hours straight. Cause you and I were like, I'm sorry, but Killing is like the final step, right? But like, this is a night where husbands could beat their wives, where you could rape your girlfriend. Like, um, we don't All know- All crime is legal. Right, we don't know the, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know the logistics of child crime, but I think this is the natural progression the show needed to make, which is it doesn't stop at murder and murder is not the most sinister thing we can do. So um, we enter this, I called it the Carnival of Flesh, Museum of Flesh, um, but uh, this art show of flesh. Right. And it's just like a, a what, like it's a male space of, of torture for these women. Um, Trump is definitely a member of this club. Okay. So I kept thinking of, I forgot the name of them, but Trump is along with uh, Andrew, the Prince, the Duke of York. There's a bunch of very famous rich men that are, the rumor has been for a very long time that they were part of this like, women's abuse club uh google it i don't have all the information on it because it's slipping through my head right now but this is actually based on like very credible rumors of these clubs in new york where like literally it's a free-for-all on women's bodies um so it is the very definition of the he-man woman hating club yes yes um it also like fit very perfectly with like you i don't know if you saw this tweet that went viral this mom tweeted out a picture of her son who was in the navy with like this is my son he's amazing now he can't even date because he's so afraid of feminazis and that took off on twitter it was amazing it was one of the best things that's happened this whole week. And so Twitter responded to this outrageous tweet with like, this is my son posts, right? And it was great. It was um, like a bunch of serial killers and a bunch of other stuff. And it was like, yo, like calm your, calm it down, man. And this dude apparently like was horrified by his mom's tweet and came out and was like, I just want to take this moment to say, I believe Dr. Ford. Like, I don't believe in the him too movement. Like sometimes the people that love you hurt you. And like my mom, I think like, it is what it is. And like, um, he turned it around, but like that, that sentiment of like men are afraid of women and they can't be men is so prevalent in our society right now. And so to see the purge, which has been in production for about a year and a half, tackle that. So in such a timely manner was great as a woman, it is a very difficult, like scene to watch the composition of it is is really disconcerting as they grab jane and they my guess is they're going to tie her into one of these like cage thingies um it's extremely disturbing um but jane responds back you all are pigs and pigs is important because that ties us back to the matron saints right and the matron saints are our Nuns on the bus of the purge world who are branding assholes with the word pig before they kill them. Marcy put in her application a few weeks ago. She's still waiting to hear back. Yeah, I'm, I'm a future matron saint. So keep, keep, keep that in mind. 
Um, but watch out, Brent. <laughs> oh, poor Brent. Um, he's a know, good guy. He's not a pig. He's such a great guy. Um, shout out to Brent, one of our first supporters of the podcast. Um, but I think this is the moment where you see Jane forged in the fire. Like she just became a matron saint. She just became radicalized and she's not going to put up with this. Like she, she, I think it finally clicked in her head. Remember how we talked about how for Jane, it was like, we can fight the purge through like lawsuits and stuff like that. I think this is the moment where she's like, or I can't like the system is set to kill me. The system is set to come after me. And she's so, definitely got their card still. I want us, I would love to see amazing. her find a way to call them. And then all the matron saints take care of all these dudes. Oh, you know what? That is poetic justice. So yes, this women's club in, in our prediction, I'm guessing you're agreeing with me, will be taken down by Jane and the matron saints. Um, I hope so. Nothing would make me happier than a bunch of like liberal feminist feminazis as they like to call them taking down this type of horror um and and i need david to die at the hands of women 100 percent. yeah i'm i'm pretty sure that we're getting to that route Are you back to see anya in this scene no well, she's yeah. in it yeah anya's in the scene so the woman that got jane's promotion oh yeah her standing there like looking super sexy shout out to the actress and like david points at her and says you know anya knew how to play the game and again there's a very special place in hell for women who work against women so you're watching women be tortured and you're like yeah but i got my promotion and that sounds kind of ludicrous but we all know those women right now and fuck you we're coming for you we're part of the resistance so we're part of the matron saints yeah my my pink leather jacket gets here next week. So. Well, and then so, let's close off this episode with the big twist of the episode. What was it, John? The big twist of the episode is Jenna comes down and tells Rick that Lila's dead. Um, wah, wah, she's really upset. Rick kind of almost has a little glee in his eyes. Yeah, like, oh, thank smiling. God. He was definitely smiling. Yeah, so then they have this twisted flirting thing that they do and yeah. they... He talks to her belly and says the baby's hungry. I don't know. They have some baby talk. Definitely don't trust Rick because I definitely think that he put in motion whatever happened to Lila and the people at that group. Um, and then what do we have it? They're about to go make some mac and cheese and settle in for the night and purge and chill. But who comes to the door but Lila? Delilah. Yeah. No, this is a queer love story set in a horror film uh, franchise, and I'm for it. So I can't imagine how excited Rick is about his wife's uh, lover coming to the door. And that she survived. Of course she did. She's not dead. And now they're back in the same house where it was really some, like, where you saw Rick discovered them. They're they're back in that place of trauma for Rick. And what's going to happen to him there is anyone's guess. Yeah. So before we close out this episode... John, we always do our purge of the week. Who is the person who, if they came to your door screaming like Lila, you would just smile and watch it happen? Um. Oh my God! If they came, don't to say my me. door. Who? I said, don't say me. <laughs> I would let you in. I would go out and find you. Yeah, I would fight for you. Um, Kanye West. He's definitely not getting in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really loved uh, the takedown of Kanye on SNL this week where it's like, just because you just, you're not entitled to be an asshole. Like, I so. really think, and I'm just going to say this and I'm sure this will haunt me when I run for office one day. Um, but like, 
I really think Kanye West has problems with his sexuality. I really think that he's probably gay. Um, I think that he has a lot of internalized homophobia that's really impacting him and it's coming out in really gross ways that we're seeing. I think that he also has a lot of mental problems that he's not addressing or he refuses to address, you know, based on whatever, you know, assumptions in his head, but there is something really wrong with him. I really hope he gets the care that he needs. I really think it's also really twisted that when I turned on, you know, when I opened up social media this morning, I saw him sitting across from Trump, you know, at the resolute desk, like almost like going crazy in so many ways. I mean, there's something really broken within him at the moment. And I don't know if that's in terms of his sexuality. I've always thought he was, pretty much I always thought that he was gay I don't know what that means for him but I really think that it can be broken down to being gay in the black community being down low being whatever he needs to do but I really think that it's come up now it's boiled to the point where we're seeing the downfall of a musical genius I mean musically he is very gifted but I really think that we're seeing this happen and it's really sad to watch so I will say I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday I think I think Kanye's timeline for if, when, ever, if not coming out is his own. Um, I, I will say as someone who has uh, trauma that is deep set from my childhood, um, you know, his, his mother's death was really difficult. Um, and he has, uh, he has openly talked about struggling with mental illness. And so I think what sucks is we're seeing kind of the commodification of a person who is clearly broken. So I, I definitely don't want to zero in on anything, but I will say like, in, like I talked about this with a friend yesterday, intent is not the same thing as impact. I don't think he has the intention to do harm to himself, his community, and the larger resistance movement, but your intent is irrelevant to impact. Like there is something extremely disturbing about watching someone who is a part of a very marginalized community, like I don't know how to explain it other than like worshiping at the altar of white supremacy. Um, because it's like, I, I'm, I'm under the impression based off of his like very public tweets that he thinks he's a part of that supremacy. And like, you're not like, and it's just he's disturbing. Like, being whole- used by the NFFA of our current universe. Right. I mean, they are using this mental illness or whatever he is going through to their own advantage. And that's disgusting. Right. Um, in regards to who I would purge this week. Who came to your door and you would not <laughs> let in. If someone came to my door and they were like, you know, they needed help and I needed to raise my Stanton security system. Um, hey, Susan Collins, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not raising it up for you. Like, go, good morning. Go good morning to everyone in America, except Susan, except Collins. Susan Collins. Like go find your buddies to let you in. Cause it's not going to be me. So yeah. So that is our recap of this That's episode six. Um, we're more than halfway there, which is crazy. Um, Marcy, you know, we have so much to look forward to in the coming weeks. We have a special guest, your favorite actress who plays Catalina, the maid, Paulina Galez coming on the show. And we're going to be releasing that special episode soon. I'm super excited to have her on the show. Um, I, everyone knows I was like really pulling for the help since the first episode, um, because that's where the resistance starts. It's the folks who feel the the heavy burden of inequity. So um, excited to have her on. She's from Miami. So we're, um, we're neighbors. Super excited. Yeah. And then Marcy and I are hard at work already on season two, and we cannot wait to announce some of the really fun stuff we have coming for you all listeners in the coming months and year. Perfect. All right, y'all. 
Have a wonderful week and happy purging. Happy purging.